Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to be talking about faith for the impossible. And as I watched some of you dance, I realized that there was lots of impossible <laughs> in the room. Me too, me too, I'm not going to lie. But I had practice in the 9.30 service. Uh, we've been asking a question around here for months and months and months now. And the question is this, is how should we live today so this community looks more like Jesus tomorrow? And really, we've just all been exploring that. Those of us who've been following Jesus for years and years and years, and even some of you who are here today are watching online, and maybe you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus. And it all comes out of what Wayne actually mentioned when he was talking. It's about the kingdom of God, that Jesus came talking about the kingdom. He came demonstrating the kingdom. And our job today in 2023 is to work out how do we realize the kingdom in our own lives. And we've been using uh, the Bible to do that through a letter written by a guy called Paul to the Romans. And really what we've been talking about, he's been writing to them talking about how they should live. And so often as the church, we find ourselves in two extremes when we talk about how we should live. And one extreme is over here, and we'll call it the religious rigid approach, okay? I'm talking to you guys not because you are that, it's just you happen to be here, okay? So it's fine. And what the the religious approach says, well, I need to live well because God is an angry dude up in heaven, and he's going to strike me down if I don't live well. So I'm going to stand to attention, I'm going to make sure I do all of the right things, because surely if I I do that, then that's going to work out for me. They believe that behavior is the way that we get into the God story, and behavior is the way that we get on with the God story. Then on the other side, the other extreme, well done, camera. Um, They've learned from the 9.30. Okay, on the other hand, we've got what we call the kind of liberal, flexible approach. Again, I'm not standing here because I think you guys are that. But what this side just goes, hey, it doesn't matter. God's like this hippie in heaven, and he's just happy with you anyway. He's all love, man. He's all love. And you can just live however you want to live because he just will forgive you anyway. So do whatever you want. If it feels good, just do it. Do you know what? It really doesn't matter. The reality is neither of those two extremes are the truth. There's elements in each of them that might be true, but it's not the truth. The reality is we discover in this letter to the Romans, as we discover through Jesus, is that behavior actually doesn't earn our way into the kingdom or on with the kingdom. It's his grace and mercy that does that. Not because we were good enough, but because he's good enough. But once you've tasted that goodness... Once we've experienced who he is, why would you want to live any other way but the way he calls you to? We don't get to live as we want. We get to live as he has called us to because it's the only way to live. We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We're called to become who he's called us to be. And that's what Paul has been talking about. He's writing to a newly formed church in the biggest city at that point in the world in Rome. 
about 2,000 years ago, a group of people that are mixed and they're different and they do all sorts. There's some from Jewish backgrounds, there's some who are in other backgrounds, and, and they're learning how to live together. And Paul concludes some of what we talked about last week, and I don't have time to review all of that. But he says this in Romans 4, 14. He says, if those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything that they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. And too often, that's how we treat our relationship with God. We, we, we make it into a contract when actually what he offers us is a covenant. Now, I know that word covenant is maybe not one that we use, but let me quickly explain the difference. A contract is something that we sign that is time-bound, that is based on actions. If you do that, then I will do this. The goal of a contract is to protect yourself. I want to make sure that, that I have to put the least amount in and ensure that the other party gives the most amount back, and then we'll all be protected. And so many of us apply that to a relationship with God. If I turn up to church on a Sunday, I listen to that guy with the green jumper, I'll even do a few dance moves with the girls, and then maybe God will bless me. That's the contract, but that's not what God offers at all. He offers us a covenant. A covenant is not time-bound. It's forever. A covenant is not based on your actions. It's based on faith and hope and love. And in a covenant, it's not about protecting yourself. It's about how much I can give. That's why we, on, on wedding days, if you've ever been at a wedding, we talk about for richer and poor, for poor, uh, you know, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. It's not a contract. It's not, you know, I know some people here getting married in just a few weeks, and when they stand at the front, in front of all of us, they're not going to say, hey, you do the health, but I'll do the sickness. I'm allowed to get sick, but you're not. You have to look after me. You bring the rich, I'll bring the poor. That's not how it works. It's, I give you everything. It's why in this book, often the church is called the bride of Christ. Because Jesus offers us a covenant relationship where he gave everything. Everything. So that we could come into relationship with him. And so our only right response is to give him everything. That's how it works. And so that's what is being talked about by Paul. When we walk into relationship with Jesus, we don't sign a contract. We enter into a covenant. And Paul goes on and he talks about this and he talks about a guy called Abraham. Abraham's the father of the Jews. And he, and he goes on and he talks to them and, and he actually goes on to say that the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and in simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. It's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who've never heard of him. And then he says this, for Abraham is father of all of us. He's not just a racial father, as in a family or a descendant. That's reading the story backwards. He's also our faith father. What Paul is saying here is that Abraham, the, the guy that we heard about last week, that Abraham isn't just for those who are Jewish and are descended from his line. That actually Paul's saying Abraham is everyone's father. That's controversial. If you're a Jew, if you're someone who was proud of your heritage, if you're proud of your descendant, you don't want to share Abraham with someone else. But what Paul's saying is it doesn't matter where you come from, the faith that Abraham showed when he stepped into God's promise is actually open to all of us. 
You see, so often we read Abraham's story backwards. If you don't know his story, let me summarize it for you really quickly. Abraham was a pagan. He was not a God follower. But God comes to him when he's about 90 years old. And he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Out of you are going to come generation after generation after generation. You're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. But there was one problem with that promise, and that is that Abraham and his wife couldn't have kids. It's a huge problem. But they step into the promise. Ten years after the promise is given, we find when Abraham's 100 and Sarah is 90, they actually bear a son. And the son goes on to have sons and daughters who do form the nation of Israel. And we find out thousands of years later that that their people are as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And what Paul is saying to these people is it doesn't matter what your heritage is, what your background is, what your belief system is, what your bank account says about you. You have a heritage of faith in Abraham because you're alive. So if you're here today, if you're watching online and you think, I'm a nobody, I've got no heritage, I've got no inheritance, there is nothing behind me that is good. I'm the first person walking into faith in my life. I'm the, in my generation. I'm the first person in my family line ever doing this. You need to know that you have a family because Paul says we're all in. That means in your family line and in my family line, we have people who built arcs in the desert when there was no rain because God said there'd be a flood. We have people who in 100 years old decided they were going to step into God's promise because God spoke. We have people who decided that they saw a bush burning in the wilderness and it was God talking to them, so they're going to release a whole people out of slavery. We've got, goodness, we've got people who said, I'm going to kill a giant with a stone because why? Because God said that he is all powerful. We've got people who walk into lion's dens and burning furnaces because they have faith to believe that God will protect them. We walk in a heritage of someone who came to earth as a child who lived, who died, and who rose again. We have a faith inheritance. The impossible is in our story. Our only choice is what story are we going to live? What story are we going to live? Because the reality is in the West for hundreds of years, what we've been told is that you know what? If you can't touch it, if you can't see it, if you can't smell it, if you can't hear it, then it's just a fairy tale. We believe in reason. We want proof. We want definite. And anyone who doesn't look for those things is childish, silly, uneducated. But we have a story that is bigger than just the last hundred years. We have a faith story. We have a faith story. Faith is defined like this. Faith is living in advance what we can only understand in reverse. Faith is living in advance what we can only understand in reverse. See, we know Abraham's story because we've read the end of it. We know it works out. So it seems like a no-brainer. Why would he not just step into it? But he didn't know that at the start. We hear from Wayne and what's happening in the school, and it's not like they're at the completion of what they want. They have so much more that God has for them. But I remember meeting with Wayne in Starbucks 15 years ago and him telling me they were going there. He didn't know any of this. He didn't know what was going to come. It seems like a no-brainer now when you see these amazing girls and what they're doing and all the other kids in that school, but they had no idea what they're going to. Faith doesn't work in that way. We don't get to see the end. We only get the start. 
And so today, with the time we've got left, I want to talk to you about what it means to live a life, to, to live a life of faith rather than a life of reason. And then we're going to pray for the impossible in our service today. For those of you online, we've already done it in the 9.30 and we're going to keep doing it. In fact, every Sunday, we're just going to do it because we want to be a people of the impossible. Not because we're great, because he is, right? So I'm going to read. This is what it says. Paul goes on to say this. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do to raise the dead to life and with the word make something out of nothing and then get this. When everything was hopeless, hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of people. God said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. He didn't focus on his own impotence and said, it's, it's hopeless. This 100-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades. That's his wife, Sarah. She, he didn't survey her decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. Ouch. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good in what he had said. Or reading it from another translation of the Bible. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since it was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, and being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So what we're going to do just in the next six or seven minutes is I want to talk about what are the conditions for faith that are required? What are the choices that will lead us away from that faith? And what are the choices that will lead us into faith? Okay? So we're going to do it. We're going to put up a table, right? We're going to make it like easy on this stuff. So you might imagine, I don't know what you might think the conditions for faith in your life might be. It could be that you think you've got to be strong, you've got to know the Bible, you've got to have all of this stuff. Well, do you know the first condition that we see when we read in these scriptures, the very first condition that you need, the thing that we need in the soil in order for faith to grow strong is this, we need hopelessness. That's what Abraham says. There was no hope. Paul tells us there was no hope. When there's humanly no other way to affect change, that's called hopelessness. There's no hope. What does the scripture say? It tells us that against all hope, he did no hope left. If you're here this morning, if you're watching this online, and you feel like your situation in your life right now is hopeless, I don't want to be blasé about it, but it's one of the best conditions to see faith grow. I know it's really painful, but it's the best place to see. Oh, I know when Wayne shares about it, when he shares about the situation that they're dealing with out there, it might seem hopeless. How could you ever see change? It's the best place to see faith grow. The second condition that we need is another helpful one. It's weakness. (laughs) See, we might have hopelessness about the things that are around us, but weakness is actually about what in us, what are the abilities that we have. You see, we might have situations this morning, stuff going on today. We know what we're 
acquired for, but we don't obtain, we don't have the qualities, the giftings, anything to make it happen. We feel weak. We feel weak. Do you know what? Like today, we're going to pray for these impossibilities, and I had hoped this week that I was going to have one of the best weeks with God, where he was going to fill me with all this faith, that I was going to have amazing times with Jesus, and do you know what? I didn't. It just felt normal and a bit tired. I don't feel like I'm standing here, someone filled with faith, but you know what? He has all the faith I need, and I'm going to borrow it. I feel a bit weak. And the last thing that we need for faith to grow, the perfect soil conditions for that faith to grow up, is impossibility. (laughs) There is no other way that this can happen. We've never actually seen it done before. We have no idea how it can happen. So if you have any of these three things or a combination of all three things here, you're in good company and you're qualified to see faith grow. But what we do with that is so important. So again, just really quickly, what can we do that would actually turn us away from faith? Well, it's this, is if we just begin to focus on the practical situation in front of us. What we're not saying is that we deny what's going on. I know sometimes in church history, there's been that, well, don't don't even pay any attention to what's going on. Just believe. What Paul's saying is not deny it. He's just saying, don't focus on it, right? He says, Abraham faced the fact that his body was dead, right? He was 100 years old. Like, I didn't, like, listen that hard in GCSE biology, but I know that's not good for having babies. Kids, ask your parents. He faced the fact, he saw it, he wasn't trying to pretend that everything was okay. He knew it, but it wasn't his reality. He knew his condition, but he knew God's condition even more. And so we don't focus on the reality. Let's not make it the the heading of the whole book of our lives. It's just a part of it. But even knowing that, we step into it, okay? So we focus on the practical, that will take us away. The second thing that we hear in the scriptures is skepticism. We start to ask clever questions, reasonable questions. And it's okay to talk with God on those kind of levels, but let's ask him questions from a basis of his goodness and faith, not trying to catch God out. Let's not reason away the impossible things that God has done in our lives. I don't know about you. When I read about the disciples, and I've talked about this before, it says at the end of their time with Jesus, some of them still doubted. These men that had watched them walk on water, feed 5,000, Raise people from the dead, feed another 4,000 somewhere else, heal all sorts of stuff. Why did they doubt? Well, I bet you they do exactly what we do. That when there's a wee bit of distance, they start to reason. Maybe someone else brought bread that we didn't see. Maybe that night where the storm was on, we couldn't see really well, and that wasn't Jesus, and it was just all something else. Maybe that person wasn't really dead, and, and Jesus kind of slipped them something to wake them up. And I know my own life, I can do that. When God meets me in incredible ways, I'm like, God, did I just make that up? God, could you really do this stuff? I get it, I get it. And I know sometimes in the church world, there have been pastors, people like me, who have not been honest and authentic when it's come to this stuff. I'm so sorry that that's ever happened. But let's not use those examples as a reason to doubt God's impossibility that he can change anything. Okay, so skepticism, and then finally doubting God's goodness. 
because of the disappointment we face in life, because of some of the hopelessness and the weaknesses and the impossibility, we begin to doubt that God is good. How can God be good if my life's not good? But we cannot read his goodness through our life. It's the other way around. He's good regardless, whether my life is good or not. Do you know when this book in the Bible, whenever it says something and I don't see it reflected in my life, do you know what I, you know what I don't do? I, I don't say this book's wrong. I say something needs to shift in my life to see the reality that he sees. When Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you, you could speak to mountains and move. You see all things happen. Well, sometimes I summon my little mustard seed and I say, mountain move and it doesn't move. And I could be tempted to go, well, maybe Jesus was just sleepy that day. Maybe he was just off his head that day. Maybe this book's wrong. Instead of going, oh Lord, I can't even summon faith the size of a mustard seed. Come, fill me. I need more of you. And so we don't lean into those three, but the three that we do need to lean into are these. We need to lean into trust. See, our belief is not based on the outcome of the promise. It's based on the character of the one who promised. If I haven't seen God move in my life the way that I wanted to, it doesn't mean that I doubt him, I trust him. Why? Because he's God. Because of mystery. I know the culture we live in says, no, it can't be mysterious. But it's a mystery. He's God and we're not. So we must lean in to trust. The second thing that we need to lean into in this is we need to plunge in. <laughs> Woo! Jump in. It's very Northern Irish, isn't it? <laughs> we're even scared to laugh at that. But surely that's reckless. Surely that could mean things could go wrong. Surely I could look stupid, it could be embarrassing, all of those things. Yes. But faith looks like stepping in. It's the story, I've used it before. It's the story of a little boy and there's been a shell attack on their city in the Second World War and there's a black hole that the shell has made in the ground and his dad has gone into the hole and he's saying to the little boy, come jump in here, come jump in here so we can stay safe from the shells that are falling and the little boy looks into the dark hole and he says, but dad, I can't see you. I don't know if it's safe and the dad says, it doesn't matter, I can see you. Jump. That's what it looks like to plunge in. We don't know what the bottom might look like. Yes, we need discernment to understand what he's saying to us, but we've got to plunge in, not sit back and wait for this. And then the third thing is we need to give glory to God. This is not the Neil story. It's not the Charlotte story, the Janet story, the Wayne story. It's God's story. It's about him. We give glory to him. His name is first. The worship team led us in that so beautifully. We sing his name above everything. We don't sing it so he'll give us something. We sing it because he gave everything. So how should we live today to see this community look more like Jesus tomorrow is we don't just build our knowledge alone, we exercise our faith. Do you know the word that was used for faith is a Greek word? And Paul was writing it in Greek and it means this. It means to have faith, faithfulness, belief, or trust with an implication that actions based on trust would follow. So faith is not something that can be held here or here alone. 
It's got to be held here, 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 and here. We've got to step in. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources, and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvineyard.com.